The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word because I think the Word will help equip us to do what I just spoke of. Now, there's a couple of elements that we'll talk about today that may sound uh, somewhat familiar to you from, from other messages in the past, but there's something specific that I believe God's calling us to. Now, when we get into the Word, there's always a, a, a desire to, to find out what is needed. You know, God, what are you speaking? He, he's a good father, and he meets our needs. He, the, the word says he knows what we need even before we ask it. So he's aware of our needs. So when we come together, that's one of the things that, that I will ask. You know, God, what do we need? Uh, it wouldn't be hard to put together a sermon or a message. I mean, uh, I've done it for more than 20 years. So if you're not careful, you can fall onto, you know, a bit of a, an autopilot mentality where if you needed to crank out a message, you, you could. But the truth is, is that God's speaking to us. And when you come to that place where you realize that, it changes how you view everything. I mean, it changes how you view coming and sitting in church. I mean, you could either come here and check off the box. Well, you know, this is the the church that I've I've committed to, so I'm going to come here. I'm going to sit. You know, he's going to start preaching at about 1040. He'll probably be done about 1115, and and then we'll, we'll go about our day. Or the mentality could be, you know, God, I'm here for a reason and a purpose. I am a part of this body for a reason and a purpose. Today's word has got reason and purpose for my life. And I think when you take on the mentality that's more intentional, we become more productive, more fruitful. When we can take on that mentality, I'll I'll reveal my clay feet to you. I remember sitting in a congregation once. It was a congregation I was a part of. Uh, and uh, was very active in that congregation. I was not the pastor of, of the congregation. I was simply a member of the congregation. And I, I began to take tremendous issue with, you know, what people would just call the preaching, right? I began to think like, wow, this is, this, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this. I just got real fussy. That's a real trap for believers to get into. You can begin to check out, think, been there, done that, I know this. And, and it can really position us to become really unfruitful. That's what it really did in my life. But I remember praying in this situation and, and asking God, you know, what do I do? I, I feel this way. And, and I remember hearing this word. It's funny when you're trying to hear God and you hear the word listen. Just listen. Listen. And so I committed to that. I began to listen. I began to take notes. I be, and it was amazing how profound and how much the Word of God was enriching to my life. And what's funny was it was the same preacher with the same messages, but yet I had a different attitude. And it was my attitude that affected the Word having any impact on my life. He didn't improve his messages or his preaching style or anything along those lines. It stayed exactly the same, but rather my attitude had an impact and effect on whether or not the word had an impact or effect. So as we step into this year, I want to encourage us to have a very intentional mentality that when we come together, we're trusting and believing that it's very intentional. So we get into the word this morning. I believe that this is an important word for today. When I say today, I don't just mean, you know, this day in January, I mean this, this season that we're in, the things that have led us up to this day and the things that we know are to come to pass after this day. I believe that today's word is, is a, an intentional preparation for the days to come. So I want to get into the word here and give you a few things to, to anticipate, to look forward to. Uh, one of the things that we're going to find, we'll find this early on, is uh, what you get when you follow Jesus. What you get when Jesus leads, so to speak. There's something that, that he promises, something that is uh, guaranteed in the word, and it's, it's a really wonderful thing for us to know what that is in order to anticipate it and also to look for it. If Jesus promises a result, this is what you get when you follow me, and we find that we're not experiencing that in our lives, then the question I would have is, is, does that mean I'm following Jesus or not? If he says this is the result you'll get when you follow me and that result is missing, it's going to be an indicator that I'm following someone else or something else. 
So I think that's why it's important to know what you get when Jesus leads, so we can be mindful and intentional about putting Jesus out in front and following him. A second thing we're going to find is how to prove you're a child of God. Your entire life is meant to give glory to God, bear witness or testify of the work that God's done through Jesus in our lives and with the empowering of the Holy Ghost. How to prove that, that you are a child of God. And it, it, it's a way that is lived out in our day-to-day living there. We'll see that in the Word. Uh, uh, and as we get to it, it, it will definitely be an important thing to make note of. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what we need in order to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I mean, if someone walked up to you and just said, you know, from Christian to Christian, just said, you know, hey, my brother in Christ, would you like for God to impart to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation? I mean, I, I, my answer would be absolutely yes, please. Now, the scripture is revealing to us something that, that needs to take place in our lives in order to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And when we realize what that thing is, then we can pursue or seek after that thing and therefore uh, walk in that spirit of wisdom and revelation that we so desire. So really and truly, as we get into the Word, we're going to find some things that I think are very important for the days ahead. So I'm trusting and believing God to lead us and guide us through the Word in a very powerful and effective way. The first thing we said we're going to find is what you get when Jesus leads. I want to start with that from the Gospel of John, John chapter 8. Uh, we'll look uh, somewhere around verse 12. John chapter 8, let's look at verse 12. Uh, Jesus is speaking. In fact, the verse opens with, and Jesus spoke. So Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I remember we, we said we we're going to find what we get when Jesus leads. I mean, based on this passage of Scripture, he who follows me will have the light of life. The light of life, the result of putting Jesus out in front and following after him, letting his counsel prevail, letting his direction guide us, letting his instruction be the things that we walk out and live out in our lives, whether it's our words, our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts. Following after Jesus positions us to have Based on his statement there, the light of life. Now, there's something that it also says that we will avoid. We will avoid walking in darkness. Now, I want to tell you why this, this, this scripture is so important and why I believe it's foundational in where we're going today. Uh, I, I've come out of the year 2020 with a lot of questions. What are things going to be like uh, three days from now? What are things going to be like in, in next week? What, what's about to happen? I'm, I'm watching the, the news and I'm reading uh, articles and I'm seeing things. And, and everything that I read, the more information I get, the more questions I have. And what I'm realizing is all of these questions, this, this lack of, of knowledge and understanding of what's going on and what's going to happen is really this, this, this shadow over reality. I'm wondering what's going on, and I'm having to ask myself, God, if I can't see, am I walking in darkness? When I'm sitting here and I'm wondering what's going on, what's happening, am I being distracted by something? Is Jesus leading? Am I walking in the light, or am I walking in darkness? Is, is the media leading me? Are politicians leading me? Are, are, are you know, people or, or social groups leading me? And that's why I'm over here asking all of these questions. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I want to step out of darkness and I want to walk in light. I want to remove myself and separate from that which is unstable. And I want to stand upon that which is stable. And if I can stay fixed on the truth that Jesus is king, I'll walk in the light. If I get sucked into the instability of who's going to be president, I'll walk in darkness. I mean, it's really that simple. And it's not a political message. I'm not attempting to promote one party over the next. I'm simply stating there's one place that is solid ground to stand upon, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the rock. So Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking saying that those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When I find myself in a place of darkness where I can't see what's coming, where I can't see what's ahead, I have to ask myself, am I following Jesus? 
Because the scripture promises that the word is, is a light unto our, our feet, a lamp unto our path. That means you can see where you're stepping. Uh, we we kind of have this, this romanticized doctrine of a veiled understanding of what God's doing. And you'll hear it in our not scripture, scripture. You ever heard somebody act like they were quoting the Bible and what they were saying was total nonsense? I mean, I used to, to work with a guy and he would say, now, you know, the Bible says, and then what he was about to say, you know, the Bible doesn't say it. You know, the Bible says that the Lord works in mysterious ways. He'd say that all the time. And he'd keep saying it, even after I would lovingly tell him, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says God doesn't do anything without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. Meaning he doesn't do anything with mystery like that. That he's constantly revealing where he's going and what he's doing. I mean, really and truly, though I find myself sitting, tapping my foot, wondering what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, I have in my hand what's going to happen. Jesus rules. Jesus reigns. The saints win. That's what's going to happen. So I want to walk in the light. I don't want to get drawn into darkness. And there is a, 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 a plethora, a myriad, there are tons, however you want to say it, of voices and strategies to draw believers out of the light and into the darkness, to take us off what is stable, who is Jesus, and lead us into what is unstable, which is anything else or anyone else. Jesus makes a comment in John chapter 9, verse 5. I want to read it to you. He says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then he, he makes another comment in the gospel, the gospel of Matthew chapter 5. When you read verses 14 and 16, listen to how he opens this up in verse 14. You are the light of the world. He goes on to say, you're a city set upon a hill that can't be hidden. People don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket and hide it. But they, they put it on a lampstand so that it can give light to all who are around. And then he gives this instruction to, to us. He says, let your light shine in front of men in such a way that they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I mean, how can these statements exist? I mean, Jesus stands and says, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then he would make the statement that you're the light of the world. It's because he is in you. The light of Jesus Christ in your life, meant to be not hidden and covered. We're not meant to be undercover Christians or Christians in secret, but rather people are meant to see our Christianity. It's meant to be visible and exposed. God has illuminated the lamp inside of you, the lamp that is Jesus Christ, and now he is setting us on a lampstand. And let me tell you, 2020 has built a fantastic lampstand for believers now to let their light shine in 2021. There are many opportunities to minister, to give, to sow, to be present, to fellowship, to meet needs, to see the kingdom expanded. And light does something powerful. Light does something incredibly powerful. I'll give you a, a couple of passages of scripture here, one specifically from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5. It speaks about light, and it says, Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. I mean, if I were just making little footnotes in my Bible or writing thoughts or ideas as I was reading that, you could just sum that up with two words. Light wins. Light wins. God has equipped us with Jesus Christ, the light of the world, so that light can shine in us and through us to those all around us. He's brought that which wins into our lives. Not just so that we can have victory, but so that we can then lead others into victory. We're called to be the catalyst for the kingdom of God and the things of heaven flowing in and through our words, our actions, our attitudes, our entire being. And that light is given so that darkness will be overcome. 
light winds. I want to give you a passage of scripture from Ephesians, Ephesians 5. I want to begin reading in verse 8. Ephesians 5, verse 8. It talks about this thing that God's done on our behalf. I mean, he brought Jesus into our life for the purpose of light prevailing, right? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, we see this written out in a very powerful passage of Scripture. It opens up with this, you were formerly darkness. I mean, is there anyone in the room who would agree with that? My life was a train wreck before Jesus. I had no vision, no direction. Everything that I did, even when I tried to do good, it ended up a mess. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. The fruit of the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. We could sit and talk about those three things all morning. Now verse 10. This call to function and operate as children of light positions us to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, not to participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. It's disgraceful to speak of those things which are done in secret or darkness. But then verse 13, I want you to see this. But when things become visible, they become visible because they are exposed by light. For everything that becomes visible then is light. I mean, that's a passage of Scripture that we could discuss in great depth, but let me just give you a bit of a paraphrase. The garbage that's in your life, when the light of Jesus Christ shines upon it, isn't just exposed, but then it becomes light. Everything that I ever did that was evil, malicious, nasty, gross, selfish, whatever bad word or attribute you could apply to it, now is a powerful testimony to the love, the affection, the power of God to come into my life as light and to overcome all darkness. Everything that was once nasty about me is now awesome about me. Everything that was once nasty about you is now awesome about you, that God would send light into your life so that all that was darkness could be overcome, and now it is light. Now it testifies of the power of Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father. So when I see the power of light and the the need for light, there's a part of me that, that asks myself, how do I get this into my life? How do I know if I'm functioning and operating as a believer should operate, one who's walking in the light and not in the darkness? I want to give you a bit of a light test. i got to tell you something. I'm going to tip my hand. I fail the light test a lot. And it's not meant to embarrass or to shame, but rather it's meant to reveal for the purpose of correction. If we refused to be corrected, we would become unteachable. And the scripture has some very nasty things to say about a life that is unteachable. It does not bode well for the individual. It's really a rough go. But when we can come together and say, you know, I I want to be molded and shaped. I want to be raised up. I want to mature in the things of God. Therefore, I'm going to be one who can be corrected. I want to be led by Jesus to, to do better than I've ever done before. And we have no problem as the new year turns over and we flip the pages on the calendar creating, you know, a, a number of New Year's resolutions. But sometimes putting Jesus in the driver's seat, saying, I want to be corrected by the Lord, can be tough to do. We kind of like the idea of change, but on our terms. And the change that God is bringing into your life is not on your terms. He will take your terms and shatter them. He will grind them into dust. He will take your terms and destroy them before your very eyes. It's going to be on his terms. So here's this light test, okay? Just am I functioning in light? Uh, I'll give you the passage of Scripture. It comes from Philippians. Now, keep in mind, this is a bit of an opinion. I read this and I see this and I think it has merit and so I want to share it with you. What you're not going to do is open up the book of Philippians and, and find, you know, thus says the Lord, this is the light test. But I want to give you this passage of Scripture and kind of tell you why this stands out to me. And I think it will stand out to you as well. Philippians chapter 2, I want to look at verses 14 and 15. It opens up with something that makes me cringe. 
I mean, my day-to-day nature, just naturally, if my carnality is not uh, uh, overcome and subdued and surrendered, if I'm not functioning and operating as a spiritual man, I'm a bit of a grouch. I just kind of am. I mean, people have different personalities. I've met people who are just just happy and bubbly all the time, you know, and that they bug me kind of. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it does. So that just tells you I'm like a rain cloud, you know. I mean, I'm I'm probably the only guy that ever watched like The Grinch and was like, I like this guy. <laughs> I I get it. I get his thing, you know. And so I have to ask, maybe my heart is like two sizes too small. I don't know. But, but we got a, a test here, and it, it opens up with these words. And like I said, these words make me cringe a little bit, but, but just catch this. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. That's how it starts. I'm thinking, okay, I'm already behind the eight ball here. You know, this is tough. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. There's plenty of things that I can do without grumbling and complaining. You know, I can go for ice cream without grumbling and complaining. I can pull into the donut shop, no grumbling, no complaining, you know. Uh, but, but then you ask me to do other things, and, and that can get tough really fast. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, here's verse 15. Pay attention to these, these next two words, so that. So that. So that you will prove yourself to be a blameless, innocent child of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as light in the world. I mean, I read about this and I see Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. And I'm thinking, well, that makes sense because I never hear you complain about anything. I mean, do you see passages of Scripture where Jesus is like, this fish is dry? I mean, I know that's a goofy example, but you just don't see Scripture and recording of Jesus being gripey. You don't see him grumbling. You don't see him fussing and fighting. You see him given situations where he's got to feed thousands of people, and they bring him a few pieces of bread and a few fish, and he's like, hallelujah, let's give thanks for this and bless it. I'd I'd be like, are you kidding me? Do you want me to look like an idiot? we got to feed these people and you bring me this? Do you see a difference in those attitudes? I mean, they're massively different. And I have to think that, that the one who could stand and make such a powerful declaration, I am the light of the world, is making this declaration because of this attitude. This trusting that God is bigger than what you see right in front of you. God's bigger than what you see on the news. God's bigger than what you read in the paper. God's bigger than the things that are screaming at you to grumble and complain. And our call is to do all things without grumbling and complaint so that we'll prove to be blameless, innocent children of God. When I look at the amount that I grumble and complain, I think, gosh, I am not innocent. Nor am I blameless. I need to get some things together here. Jesus, help me. I mean, by the power of your blood, let this be be a, a cleansing moment where I can be purged of these negative thoughts, attitudes, and actions that lead me to behave with such arrogance that I would become such a fussy individual. So we see what we get when Jesus leads, that light of life. We see what we get uh, when we prove ourselves to be children of God. We get a life free from grumbling and complaint. I want this light to be in my life. Now, when I fail the test, right, when I find that I'm grumbling and complaining, I have to ask myself, how can I pull out of this? Well, it, it takes something. It, it takes a, a little bit of vision. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here because I think this is important for the days that we're in now. I'll give you a passage of Scripture from Luke, Luke chapter 11. I want to read uh, verses 33 through 36. So Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about light once again. And he says, nobody after lighting a lamp hides it. You don't, you don't put it in a cellar or under a basket, but you put it on that lampstand so that those who enter the house may see the light. 
Now, I want you to pay attention to what he says in verse 34. This is what I think is, is really important for us to make note of. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when the eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light uh, with no dark part in it, it will surely be wholly illuminated as the lamp illumines you with its rays. I mean, when your body is filled with light because the eye is good, then surely it just shines light everywhere. The same way as when we flip that switch back there, that bulb ignites and those light rays shine down and you can actually see your pen and paper, your Bible right in front of you. I see this passage of Scripture and I just think, wow, that's really interesting to me. I mean, I don't want to offer anything as absolute doctrine, but I want to give you this idea that Jesus doesn't ever have kind of an off day. He's not sitting here making this suggestion and thinking, well, you know, I kind of shot from the hip on that one. I'm sure there's some other things that you could do to have light in your life. But rather, he's bringing the word of God to us saying, hey, listen, it starts with your eye. And then when I see that, I, I realize something. I think, well, no wonder there's such an attempt to put garbage in front of my eyes. No wonder the, the, the corruption that exists on television. I mean, it, it was just a, a few uh, decades ago that you, you couldn't show certain things on TV. Now you can show everything on TV. It, the Internet is now a gateway, a portal to total filth and pornography. And I mean, you, 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 Google carefully, people. And then there's common sense things with all of those things, television and, and the internet. You could easily censor and filter all of that stuff, but there's a blatant refusal to because there is an evil agenda to corrupt your eye. Because when your eye is corrupted, the whole body suffers darkness. We need to guard our eyes. Guard our eyes. You know, it's easy for us to, to talk about why there are attempts to, to bring garbage into our lives and, and people write books on how men are wired and how women are wired and all of these things. And the reality is God has called us to function and operate as light. We're meant to be the lamps that have been ignited and put on a pedestal for the purpose of shining light on all of those around us so that they can see. And we have an enemy who wants to jack that up. He wants to snuff out the wick so that you can sit there and smolder and do nothing for no one. I don't know if that was good English, but it works. So something needs to happen with our eyes. I've told this story before, and, and uh, it, I, I want to share just a real quick version of it because I think it just fits. Now, I mean, I think everyone in the room has probably heard it, and that's, that's okay. But I remember when I was a new believer, I, I had just been born again. In fact, I think that weekend I got bailed out of jail and, and I went to some special church services that were going on at the church. I think it was, I think that was, that was kind of it. I mean, I never did long stretches of time. I wasn't an inmate. I don't wear long sleeves to cover all my t prison tattoos or anything like that. I mean, I, I, I always was able to, I was just a, a, a selfish guy that broke the law and got in trouble and but I remember when I was born again, I was born again, Travis County Jail, I was locked up in there, had a powerful encounter with God and, and, and you know, burst out into tears and was, was born again right there. I mean, it was really powerful. And let me tell you something, you know it's God. It's not cool to cry in county lockup, okay? <laughs> you, don't, you don't do that. And, and man, it was just really great. And so, I, you know, I got back to my, my hometown and... and the church that I grew up in, though I had just become a believer, I had grown up going to church, and so they were having special services, and I went, and, and these services were incredibly powerful. It was a really, really, you know, big, large church. I mean, there were thousands of people there in attendance, and, and the pastor, his son actually had a, a word of knowledge. He came up, and he, he had the microphone, and, and his son, uh, you know, wasn't a, a real eloquent person. I'd never heard him speak publicly. You know, he's a great guy, a, a very professional guy, but he never had a, 
passion to like follow in dad's footsteps and take the mic and, and be, you know, Pastor Junior. So he got up and was kind of, you know, turning red and real embarrassed, but said, hey, listen, this is, I don't do this. I remember him saying that very specifically. I don't do this. It's like, well, you're doing it. I was at the bank and God spoke to me. He just said, I was sitting at the drive-thru at the bank, and God spoke to me, and he told me he's going to heal people's eyes tonight. And then he asked this crowd of thousands of people, does anyone here wear glasses or contacts? You know? I mean, I'm looking around the room here, and we're probably about 75% wearing glasses or contacts. So, I mean, all these people just start coming forward. I mean, it's a sea of people. Now, normally they would have, you know, leaders to lay hands on people and pray for them, and, and they were trying to do that, but so many people were there that finally, you know, the, the, I'm fighting my way through the crowd, and as I'm doing it, I'm taking out my contacts. And what you have to understand is I've never had good eyesight. When I was a kid, I had terrible eyesight. I mean, it was so bad. I had to wear a big eye patch, you know. I mean, it, and I, uh, I remember I almost killed a kid one time because I couldn't see him, you know. I was real excited, got a good grade on a paper, and I'm running to go see my mom because I can see her car kind of out there, you know. It's like I see this purple blob that's got to be mom's car. I take off running, and this poor little kid steps out from around a corner, and, and I mean, I, I, he was on the ground like that. I thought I killed him. So then I ran to the car saying, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. We got to go. I killed him. So she comes out of the car, and, and she, you know, she scoops him up. He's unconscious. And let me tell you something. I've seen people get knocked unconscious, and, and normally it's not a real long affair, right? I mean, like, it, it's kind of like a few seconds go by, and they come to. This kid was out for minutes. That's a long time to have your lights shut off. And I remember kind of sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to jail. You know, this is horrible. And I mean, I'm just a little kid. But I mean, I couldn't see anything. I, they covered up my eye. They told me, you know, your, 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 your eyesight's just going to be really bad forever. I remember hearing the eye doctors give those things. So I'm going down there, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm born again now, and, and I, this is God has spoken. He's going to heal people's eyes, and I'm going to get my eyes healed, and this is going to be the best thing ever. So all of my corrective lenses are now on the ground being trampled on by thousands of people, and I am pushing my way through the crowd to get up to the front because I want someone to lay hands on me and pray for me. Now, I'm about halfway through pushing through the crowd because when you're a Christian, you know, you push politely right? I mean, you don't just like muscle your way through, but you, you got to kind of scoot and shuffle. And, and, and I made it about halfway up there and they, they had had enough, you know, I mean, it wasn't working as far as how they had it set up. So the pastor took the microphone and just said, you know, we're just going to pray a, a corporate blessing of healing and, and we're going to trust God to do the rest, you know. And so I stand there and I'm, I'm in a state of receiving and and he, you know, uh, pronounces that blessing of healing and, and in Jesus' name, amen, and dismisses everyone to go back to their seat. And I turn around and I'm thinking, has anyone seen my, my corrective lenses here, you know? Maybe I can find them on the floor and salvage them because uh, nothing happened. And what's funny is, is, you know, weeks went by, months went by, and it was time for me to go to the eye doctor. I went to the eye doctor and I'm going through their little you know, like that's a sideways E, you know, that, is that a sideways E or a W? I never know what that is, but you're going down their chart there, you know, and he's clicking his pen and, you know, this one, this one, this one better, this one better. Why they click their pen every time they write, I don't know, but they do, you know, okay, okay, okay. And then he, he, he finally turns, you know, and they're on that little stool, so they kind of roll and turn at the same time, you know. They roll and turn and come back. <laughs> you, know, you know, you've been through it, right? So he rolls and turns, and he says, well, you got perfect vision. That's what he said. I'd never heard that in my life, you know. And I said, what did you say? And he said, well, one of your eyes is better than perfect, but the other one's perfect. And I said, uh, are you sure? And he said, yeah, I'm sure. You know, well, you just read the charts there. You did, you did good. I said, I've never heard that in all my life. And then, you know, like most doctors, he couldn't let you, you know, just kind of ride the high. He had to be like, well, when you get 40, it'll change, you know. And I just thought, well, thanks, doc, you know. But, but I was so excited. I'd never heard that I had perfect vision before. And I remembered that, that going forward for that prayer. I remember that. And I, I was talking to God about it as I was leaving the eye doctor there just thinking, wow, 
praise God, this is incredible, you know? But, but why? Why'd you do it like this? And I began to realize the convictions that came after that night. The things that I used to watch that I, I, I just couldn't watch anymore. The things that I would look at, and all of a sudden I'd look at it and be like, yeah, I shouldn't look at that. The things that, that I would see that used to didn't bother me, now made me want to, to turn away. And, and I remember hearing in my spirit, I healed your eyes. I healed your eyes. I want to read something to you from the scripture here. Because I think this, now we're coming to the point of, of the message here. Like what we need for 2021. Coming out of 2020, moving into 2021, there's something that I think we need. And it has to do with our eyes. Remember, your eye is where the light enters in. It's where your whole body becomes illuminated for the purpose of being put on that lampstand, providing light to those around you, just like God has ordained and called through Jesus. I want to read from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. I want to begin in verse 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Now, Jesus has done incredible things. He, he's fed multitudes. He has, has uh, shut down all of the traps and the, te the tests that people uh, attempted to bring to cause him to stumble uh, uh, verbally and, and doctrinally. And, and he's, he's coming into a city here. And in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, it says, They, they came uh, to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus. And the blind man implored Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Now here's where it, it just starts to get really colorful. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Do you see anything? So you have this point of ministry, and I mean, I, I could talk on that for, for a, a, a really more time than we have this morning, and I'd rather not get distracted by the method. The reality is, don't question God's methods. I mean, if I were to call you up and you were to say, hey, listen, I, I need God to heal my eyes, and I would say, well, come here, I'm going to spit in your eye, you'd probably be like, uh, next, where's, the, where's your associate pastor? I, I'd like to speak with someone else, please. The reality is that day I thought that God failed or forgot me. I went down with the masses and, and had the faith to throw my glasses down and, and push through the crowd. I mean, I did everything by the book to get what God promised, and then it didn't happen, or at least I didn't think it did. I was questioning God's methods. What do you mean you're not going to lay hands on people? What do you mean you're going to just wave your hand with a corporate prayer? What do you mean? Here's a guy who's led by Jesus. He took him by the hand and led him. The amount of trust to be led when you can't see. We read that passage and we filter it through our eyesight, our vision, our ability to take the beautiful hand of Jesus, to feel the hands of a loving father, a carpenter, and to be led outside of the city. This guy is trusting that he's not just taking him somewhere to abandon him in a ditch somewhere. He can't see a thing. He doesn't even know if it's Jesus. Are people playing a prank on me? What's going on? But yet he trusts. He's taken by the hand. He's led to a place. And then the method isn't questioned. It doesn't say Jesus said, okay, hold still. And the guy was like, what are you doing, man? That'd probably be what I would say. So he's trusting all of these things that there is purpose behind this method. Now, there are reasons for those things, and we could discuss them, but I'd rather just move forward. And Jesus lays hands on him and asks, do you see anything? Now, here's verse 24, and I think this is really incredible. It says that the man looked up and said, I see men. I see them like trees walking around. Then verse 25 says, Then again Jesus laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. 
So we're now at a crossroads here with this, this passage of Scripture, and it's the crossroads of interpretation. I mean, how do we process what we just read? Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. There's probably more than a couple. One way would be to say Jesus ministered twice because he first fired a dud, right? He laid hands on him. Well, I can kind of see, well, let me try again here. Let me get warmed up, crack the old knuckles. Here we go. Now, can you see? Yep, I can see. That one worked. All right. Like you're starting a car with a weak battery. Give it a second. There it is, you know. We could take that road, but I think that road would be a poor choice because Jesus doesn't fire duds. He doesn't fire duds. He did two things, and he did two separate things there. I want to read to you some scriptures from the Old Testament. Isaiah 55 has this passage within it. The trees of the field will clap their hands. You ever seen trees clap their hands? Nah. Psalm 1-3, blessed is the man, and he goes on to speak about the blessing. This blessed man will be like a tree planted by the river. Matthew 7, when Jesus is speaking about people and their actions, he says, a tree is known by its fruit. Isaiah 61, verse 3, they, that's me and you, will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Jesus did something to this man that caused his eyes to be open to see things like God sees things. Throughout the scripture, seeing this comparison of, of trees and men, I'm not saying men are trees or trees are men. What I'm saying is he saw things the way God saw things, and then Jesus laid hands on him, not for a second dose, but for a completely different action. He did something in his heart, in his mind, in his spirit, and then he did something in his flesh. He laid hands on him and caused him to be able to see things like the word of God would reveal things. Then he laid hands on him and opened up his physical eyes. You know, that day that I thought God forgot me and, and you know, I'm looking around for my, my glasses because I went down for healing and it didn't happen. Something did happen that day. Something happened in my heart and in my mind. My convictions changed. He literally healed my eyes. And then later on, he actually healed my physical eyes. And I want to tell you something that needs to happen in all of our lives for us to function and operate as God's called us to. Remember earlier when I said we're going to find what we need to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation? We're going to find that here. And by the way, going into this new year with all of the things in the world that are, are uncertain and unstable, I can tell you there's never been a greater time for believers to walk in a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But something needs to happen first. Ephesians chapter 1, I want to begin in verse 15. Now Paul's writing, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and this is now scripture as if it's being written to you and to me. And Paul says, for this reason, I've heard of the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus, this faith that exists among you and your love for all of the saints. I don't cease giving thanks and mentioning you in my prayers. Now he mentions what he is praying for, praying that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He goes on to reveal what this prayer is as he's pursuing that God would give a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. The prayer is, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened or opened. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened so that you will know the hope of God's calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's the prayer that we ought to pray for ourselves, for our families, for each other as the body of Christ. Father, will you enlighten the eyes of our heart so that we, can stand firm on and so that we can know the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, the surpassing greatness of your power 
toward us who believe. Those three things, those wonderful promises, transcend any of the garbage that you read or see in the news today. Everything that I see that is unstable, everything that I see that is uh, 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 seemingly threatening, all falls short of what I can see when the eyes of my heart are opened up to see clearly the things that are true, the things that are eternal, the things that actually matter. The hope of the calling that he's placed on my life, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the surpassing greatness of his power. I love the way that's worded. It's because it always wins. What is God's power? Surpassingly great. Always bigger than, always greater than that which is opposing it. The surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. I want the eyes of my heart open so that those are the three things that will direct my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions. I don't want my thoughts and my attitudes to be directed by the New York Times and CNN. I want my thoughts and my attitudes and my actions to be directed by the things that are true and the things that are eternal. The reality that God has chosen me and promised not to leave or forsake. The truth that he has bestowed his kingdom upon me that I am seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. And that he's poured out his spirit, his power in and through my life that is always surpassingly greater than that which is in the world, because greater is he who is in me than the one that is in the world. And I think when we can have the eyes of our heart opened up, we're equipped to function and operate in the light that we're called to walk in. That light that illuminates our steps, where no matter what voice is trying to pull us into darkness, we stay steadfast where we can see clearly. And I'm trusting and believing God to bring these things into our life. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning and I want to pray something specifically for us. I had no problem hungering for the healing of my eyes when if I were to take off my glasses, everything went blurry. I had no problem understanding that there was a need for that. You know, at first mention, when the pastor just said, hey, you know, we're going to trust and believe God's healing eyes. I mean, I was like, like a, a, an Olympic athlete in the blocks, ready to take off racing to the altar there because I had no doubt I, I needed that. I want a, a, a response to be out of a true conviction in each one of us, this understanding that I need the eyes of my heart open. I need the eyes of my heart enlightened. Now, I'm not saying that you've never had that before, and I'm not saying that you're not walking in that right now. What I'm saying is I want us to come to a place where we value this as necessary. We see this as priority. I don't want to see anything in the physical until I've seen with the eyes of my heart. And I think that protects us from acting rashly, foolishly, carnally, sinfully, what other fully that you can possibly add in there that isn't Jesus. Let me see like you see first. And then let me see. Let me see that Jesus is on his throne and then let me watch the news. Because if I watch the news, then I'm going to have to be talked down from some panic you know, called out off of a ledge that, hey, 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 don't forget Jesus is on his throne. But if I can see Jesus is on his throne, I can watch the news and just say, wow, those guys need Jesus. I want to get our priorities straight. I want to see first through the eyes of my heart. With the fulfilled and, and faithfully responded to prayer that God would open the eyes of my understanding or open the eyes of my heart. And I want that for all of us. And I think when that takes place, we become those who not only walk in light, but we shine light on others because this world is filled with panicked people who are walking in darkness. They don't have a clue what's coming. And they're scared out of their minds. And it's not our job to go and achieve enlightenment and then simply be superior to them. It's our job to be a light set on a lampstand 
that lightens up the whole room so that all can see. There where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask God to do this work in our hearts. You're welcome to be in a state of agreement or simply receiving. But I want to trust and believe for God to, to open up the eyes of our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We desire a work done in each of us that we might shine light as you've called us to shine light. Let our eyes be clean, that our whole body would be filled with light. We ask now for a work to be done in our hearts. Let the eyes of our understanding be opened and illuminated, that we might see the way you see. And let us see the way you see first. Let us prioritize this vision for the purpose of setting our feet on the right path, equipping our hearts with the right thoughts, emotions, compassion, and graciousness. Let us see the way you see so that we can function the way you function, so that we can do the things that you call us to do, speak the words that you put in our mouth, perform the actions that you lead us and guide us to, that we might be like Jesus, saying what we've heard you say and doing what we've seen you do. I ask now for me and for those in this room, by your spirit, will you heal the eyes of our heart? Will you enlighten them, open them, and let us see your purposes, your plans. Let us see Jesus before we look with our physical eyes on the things of this world. And let the result be the promises in your word that we not be those who walk in the hope of your calling, that we might be those who understand and know the riches of the glory of our inheritance as your children, and that we might be those who understand and know, not just in knowledge, but in experience, the surpassing greatness of your power toward us in every situation, in every circumstance. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened that we might be those that you have illuminated and placed on a lampstand to give light to those who are wandering in fear and anxiety and in darkness. And let us lead them to you as we let our light shine in such a way that those in this world see our works and glorify you. We bless your name and we praise you and we thank you for this powerful work in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.